911, what's the nature of your emergency? Your world can change in the blink of an eye. He walked into the bedroom and you know that she had been murdered. So he's running up and down, screaming, oh my God, someone called 911. There are two men killing a girl. I know my son, and he would not go that long without saying anything to anyone. Safety can be an illusion, and reality a nightmare. So how do you feel a person, a grown person? Unspeakable crimes can penetrate any small town, big family, pretty face, or innocent child. And in the wake of a loved one's murder or disappearance, there is nothing more cruel or desperate as silence. Why won't people talk about it? That's another thing. People don't want to talk about it around here. For the families of the missing and murdered, they gambled with their sanity as they lose hope in closure and settle for justice. That's where the cold case playing cards come in. In each episode of the Dealing Justice podcast, your hosts Jennifer Dubasek and Lori Jennings will spotlight one card from the cold case playing card deck. Hear the victim's story from the friends and family who knew them best. Her mom will never stop fighting until she finds out what happens to her daughter. Learn about the crime and help close the case. Welcome to season two. We're not just playing cards, we're dealing justice. Hey there, folks. Hey there, folks. Hello, hey there, folks. <laughs> we can't I, laugh at ourselves. Well, hey there, folks. <laughs> I was wondering if I, you'd catch I, on. I, I knew that's what you were doing. <laughs> this is the Slay Queens podcast. The Slay Queens podcast. Slay Queens is a podcast dedicated to the discussion of true crimes that occur within the queer community. This is a note to remember that the topics that we discuss can be very graphic and often lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Hey folks, before we get started, Ashley and I just wanted to pop on and let everybody know that this episode has been edited by your podcast editor. Yes, and if you have a podcast, you can contact him and receive two edited episodes totally free. You can find him on Instagram at yourpodcastedit. Save time, take your podcast to the next level. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And we are back, 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 back again. We're back. Back again, again. <laughs> I was very cheerleader. I don't. Even, I don't know what I was going for there. Um, hello, hi everybody. Hello, Ashley. Hi, Wayne. Hello, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. We are here again, we and are here. we are happy. We are so happy. Ashley's peppy. I'm peppy. It's 50 degrees outside, even though it's going to snow, what, like tomorrow? It's yeah. fine. Snowpocalypse is coming. I've went on like nine walks with my dog today because I just yeah. keep looking outside like, oh, I don't even need a coat, which like people in warmer climates are probably like, 50 degrees? You need a 
winter coat for that, but you, you know. know what? It has been really cold here, yeah. and you would be amazed, people in warmer climates. Right? <laughs> you would be amazed at how hot fifty degrees is yeah. when it's been like eighteen degrees. Yeah, or like nine previously. degrees. Yeah. when I wake up in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. So anyway, we're enough here to about tell a story. Not we're that. here to tell a story, <laughs> not to complain about the Midwest winter weather. That's right. We do choose to live here after all. Absolutely. So yeah. Absolutely. So we are here to. Revamp, redo, oh, yeah. retell, re-examine. Re- yep, all re- of it. Reiterate. <laughs> reiterate. There uh, we go. Thank you. A story that we have told before, but we do like to occasionally take these old stories that we have told and update them with just better audio and, and better research quality. Definitely the audio is is the big thing. That's <laughs> for sure. So yeah, this time, because it's a case that we've covered before. But I believe it was back in like season one, maybe. Oh, this was early. It was early. This and was you told me the story. Queens. Yeah. So I figured maybe we should just tell it together this time. Yeah, because now we're both super familiar. Yes. Even though it's been a while. I it had to, you been. know, go back and reread. But there are, I was telling you earlier, there are so many parts of this case that are unforgettable <laughs> that yeah. you don't forget many of the details i will say spoiler alert this is a no eating episode <laughs> yeah this asshole yeah for you sure. will not forget him if you've heard this story before you will absolutely remember and if you've not heard this story before uh you're this, welcome in advance you're welcome in advance <laughs> and he's about to be burrowed yep. into the little mm-hmm. regions of your brain that you wish he were not but <laughs> so true now's your warning all right are we ready? Should I just let Let's him do know? it. Just dive right in. Let them know. So we're going to be talking about one Mr. Colin Ireland, a.k.a. the gay slasher, a.k.a. the gay slayer, a.k.a. a self-made serial killer. Yep. That's him. That's him. <laughs> that's him. Self-made, mm-hmm. which I feel like is kind of, I don't know, that's, aren't they all self-made in a way? But you'll figure out why that's pertinent. Yeah. In a minute. <laughs> well, yeah, the argument can always be made nature versus nurture, True. blah, 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 blah. Not to blah, blah, blah that per right. se, but to blah, blah, blah that conversation so that we don't we have to have, have it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that <laughs> All the we time. Don't, so that we don't have to have it again. Yes. Yeah. That's the blah, blah, blah. It's a very serious matter. But why we make it a point to, to point out that he's self-made will make sense if I shut up and just let Ashley get the to the story. The story. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start it off. How about that? Sounds wonderful. All right. So. Colin Ireland was born in the poor community of Dartford, Kent, the principal town in Kent, England, which is approximately 18 miles southeast of central London, on March 16, 1954. His mother was an unmarried 17-year-old news agent's assistant. She would not list the name of Ireland's father on his birth certificate, nor would she ever reveal his identity to her son. He was the, quote, illegitimate child of a news agent's assistant, is what I (laughs) got from the internet, and I'm like... (laughs) That is a sentence and a half. And Ireland would spend the first five years of his life being raised by his mother in the home of his maternal grandparents. Thereafter, the two would embark on a very nomadic lifestyle, reportedly having in ex- having moved in excess of nine times in six years. Oof. I know. That's rough. That's, that's rough for any kid. That's a lot. That's, I mean... I'm not good at math, but I feel like that's more than twice a year. Almost more than twice a year. It's like one and a half times a year. Yeah, it's a lot. One time, and I hate this part, Ireland returned home after school to find that his mother had moved during the day without telling him. She would eventually return later that evening to take Ireland to their new house. But how sad is that? 
I mean, that has to be so psychologically damning and yes. scarring. That right? is traumatic for sure. At one point, the pair even lived in a shelter for homeless women and children that as an adult, Ireland would describe as, quote, degradation personified. Ever the new kid attending six different schools from ages five to ten, he was described as, quote, thin, lanky framed, bow legged. Ireland would find it difficult to develop healthy relationships with his peers and was often the subject of merciless bullying. He would recall himself as in childhood as a, quote, a thin, lanky little runt, always getting the worst of it from schoolyard bullies. And I, I was about to say that, and I'm like, this sounds so dumb in an American accent, but if I try to say it in <laughs> another gonna accent, sound even worse. it's going to sound even exactly. Yeah. <laughs> In an attempt to avoid the bullying, Ireland would purposely arrive late to classes where he was then disciplined with a cane for being tardy. I mean, I guess such is the time, right? Ultimately, all of these factors would cause Ireland to begin avoiding school altogether, hindering his education and development of social skills. Further complicating an already less than ideal upbringing, Ireland reported that during his adolescence, he was approached on four separate occasions by grown men soliciting sexual favors from the boy. Like, that's ugh, four different times. Yeah, I think we talked about this the last time. There's no excuse for that sort of behavior. None whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think that we can all agree that that is disgusting. But I think the last time we spoke of this, I said something to the effect of, I wonder if those men seeing, like, his height and his size. No. Yeah, he's a were, big boy. Were confused and thought maybe he was older. That's true. We did. I do remember yeah. that now because yeah. he is a, a massive human being. That's yeah. for sure. Regardless, though, of whether or not you made a mistake, you're yeah. still responsible for those actions, yeah. right? So, but it's not sort okay. of it's messing. It's gonna you know mess with the psyche. But it was like sort of a question of did these guys know how young he was? What was their motivation? Truly, yeah. Good point. There you go. By the age of 17, Ireland was constantly in trouble of his own making, logging convictions for theft, burglary, and blackmail, resulting in two stays at a reformatory school in Borstal. Borstal? Is that right? Borstal? Borstal. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Somebody let me know. <laughs> All right. So in his early adulthood, it would not actually prove to be a happier or more successful time for Colin Ireland. Throughout most of the 1980s, he would serve multiple prison sentences for burglaries, car theft, extortion, and robbery. The early 90s would also find Ireland twice divorced, having allegedly been violent towards at least one of his wives, living in a small flat in Southend-on-Sea, which is a town about 40 miles east of central London. And I apologize to our UK listeners that we keep quantifying distance in miles in and miles. not kilometers. <laughs> we're just American folk, and that's what we're used to. That's so true. Troubled, frustrated, not knowing what to do with his life, and full of rage, that's a direct quote, determined to make a name for himself at the age of 39, Colin Ireland would make a New Year's resolution, and that was New Year's 1993, and it was to pursue infamy by becoming a what, Ashley? A serial killer. A serial killer killer yeah so there it is did you have any new year's resolutions because i feel like this is a big one i'm trying to uh, work on this dad bod a bit that's <laughs> uh, i'm embracing it though like i'm just trying to embrace this thickness sure t-h-i-c-c make it work for you yeah it trying does. to make it work for me but uh, never at any point in my life mm -mm. 
have I said, you know what? I want to be famous. Mm -hmm. And I think to do that, I'm going to be a serial killer. Yeah, that's, I have no, I have no words. I want to say it's bananas, but I feel like it's the first and only time that we've heard that as like a New Year's resolution conscious decision. I don't know of any other case. And granted, as much as I think I'm a true crime aficionado, there's a lot of stuff out there that I don't know about. Yeah. But I've never, he's the only case that I've ever encountered where the person admittedly said, you know what? I'm going to start doing this. This is what I want. This is what I'm aiming to do. This is what I want for myself and my life. For New Year's. For New Year's. Happy New Year's. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) dude, just like drink too much, kiss somebody that you're either going to be happy about or you're going to regret the following day. And And then um, figure out on a few days later, even though it's not not January 1st, but it's okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Get a gym membership. Like that's that's what the rest of us do. That's what we all do. (laughs) All right. So in order to prepare himself for this said infamy and this life of crime, Ireland would begin his study of how to become a serial killer by reading the popular true crime book, Whoever Fights Monsters, which is written by the FBI agent who coined the term serial killer, which is one of Ashley's favorites, Mm -hmm. Robert Mm -hmm. Ressler. He was also watching true crime shows on television, et cetera, et cetera. Ireland would develop the following victim profile. Homosexual men, because he felt as though crimes against this demographic of people would arouse less public sympathy and therefore not be as highly prioritized by law enforcement and anybody who may be investigating those crimes. Can I just say, I didn't think about this before, but I think it's interesting that he's developing himself a profile all the while he's watching and reading things about the FBI profiling people. Like, wouldn't you think he'd be like, well, I'm not going to have a profile. Like, I'm not going to have a type. Oh, that's a You know what I mean? I never really considered that. Also, that book, did you know that they tried to get it taken off the shelves after he was... All of this. I did not know that. No, <laughs> it didn't happen. But yeah, obviously, it's like one of those things where like you're going to blame Catcher in the Rye because Yoko Ono died. Like what yeah. is happening? <laughs> yeah, That's really very interesting because you would think that if he were being a good air quotes student, mm-hmm. uh, he would not have a profile and murders. He wouldn't have a profile. I mean, I guess in his mind, though, the profile he chooses makes more sense. And I'll let yeah. you go on about that. <laughs> well, arguably one of the scarier, more air quotes, successful serial killers out there was Israel Keys, who yeah. had no profile. They yes. were simply crimes of opportunity. Yep. And so, we, yeah, that's very true. And they even say because Colin Ireland isn't as talked about as like your Dennis Nilsons mm-hmm. of the world because he wasn't as uh, he didn't have as many victims. But to me, I don't know. It's 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 bad. It's yeah, all bad. It's almost just as graphic. Yeah. You know? It, yeah, it's. It's all bad in its own way. Yes. And it's all equally bad yes. in its own way. <laughs> so this should be more talked about. So here we go. Absolutely. And that's another reason we are uh, covering this case again. Mm-hmm. But as we said before, he developed his own victim profile. They were homosexual men because he thought that people wouldn't empathize and sympathize with that demographic. Yeah, he thought they would as much. Care. And if history has taught us anything, yeah. that's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Also men who had interest in casual sadomasochistic sex because they would be easier targets freely submitting themselves to bondage at the hands of a stranger making them less of a flight risk less of someone who might fight back if he tried to subdue them and ireland would target specifically men in west london because he knew that the common belief was that serial killers typically hunted within their own geographic region slash in their own backyards 
And remember, at that time, he was living about 40 miles east of London. Additionally, in order to carry out his crimes, Ireland would create a kill kit or a murder kit, again, much like Israel Keyes did. So uh, hearkening it back to I was going to say, well, we'll talk about him again later. Our but... <laughs> old references. And these kill kits contained items such as ropes, bindings, gloves, knives, change of clothing, anything that you might need if you were going to be a complete shit stain and, and commit a violently commit murders. Uh-huh. So just like that, we'll get into the murders. On March 3rd, 1993, Colin Ireland would set his plan into motion when he entered the Colherne Arms Public House, a gay pub in West London known to be frequented by men of the SM community. Reportedly having prior knowledge of the, quote, hanky or bandana code. <laughs> Why did I read that like I didn't know what that was? <laughs> like you were so unfamiliar with, with the concept. I don't know. I guess I haven't seen the word hanky in a long time, and that threw me off. Also, <laughs> also, I was taken back to the first time we were discussing this case and covering yes. this case. How proud we were of ourselves. For knowing that. For knowing that, but also for appropriately using the term SM oh, yeah. community yes. and not S and M mm-hmm. community, because I think you were the I one. I just who learned en- about that. You, I think you mm-hmm. were the one who enlightened me when you said it's not sado and masochist. It's sadomasochist. It's that. It's that thing that you just it's said. It's very that. <laughs> it's very that. <laughs> oh, sorry. I love you, Adore. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, so reportedly having prior knowledge of, again, the hankier bandana code from some time he had spent working as the bouncer of a gay club, actually, Ireland would be wearing a black bandana in his back left pocket, indicating to other patrons that he was a dom top looking for a sub bottom. (sighs) Who isn't, right? (laughs) (laughs) Same girl. (laughs) Right. Same. The now tall and, quote, brawny Ireland. I mean, I would, it's a generous adjective, but I can give it to him. Like I can, I mean, he's 6'4" by all accounts, right? And he had, what does it say? He had grown out of his lanky teenage years that we had mentioned before, which, you know, tends to happen when you get older. We can post photos, obviously, to the social medias. But if you're listening to this right now, you haven't yet seen photos, if you've never seen photos of Colin Ireland, he deserves the descriptive term brawny, sheerly based on his size. Mm -hmm. But I think we also have a tendency to associate brawny with like just like a big, handsome man. (laughs) Like the brawny paper towel guy. Absolutely. Like his flowing hair. Like, yeah, it's a handsome. I mean, it's a cartoon, but come on. I mean, that's not what he is. And no, (laughs) handsome Colin Ireland is not. And we keep getting off on all these tangents and sorry, not sorry. Did you know that the actual person that the new brawny man as in like because you know like when we were growing up there mm-hmm. was one guy who yep. had like the 70s porn stash oh yeah and then they you gotta had update this, it with the time yeah absolutely <laughs> then they had the big campaign i think it was in the 90s or the early 2000s yep. where they're like the new brawny man did you know that he's a firefighter from like st louis and he's a big homo i freaking love yes. that he's great a big homo yeah oh, and he's a firefighter i love everything about that yep. all of that is good news I'm i love literally, it i'm gonna tell every client that i have yeah so, about that that's amazing so brawny support us please sponsor yeah, us sponsor us support us <laughs> both both are correct <laughs> that's right i need all the support i can get so back to colin he would soon attract the attention of a 45 year old theater director and choreographer named peter walker Walker would invite Ireland back to his flat. There, Walker would be bound to the bed, 
beaten, and ultimately killed via suffocation when Ireland placed a bag over his head. Ireland would remove the plastic bag and bindings, force knotted condoms down inside of his mouth and nostrils of the victim, and position two plush toys, or teddy bears, in a 69 position on the top of the body, which is just borderline childish. It's so teenage boy. That's what I'm saying. Who thinks to do that? Are you just trying to be, like, cheeky? Because it's not at all. Mm-mm. It's not funny. No. It's I, not a dad joke. It's very Beavis and Butthead. It's, that's exactly what it is. Nobody's going to walk in and be like, huh, 69. <laughs> like, no, this is a m- murder scene. Ireland would also clean the flat in order to not leave behind any evidence before making his escape from the scene during rush hour. So, you know, the busiest time of day for traffic, all of that. So he would blend into the crowded streets of all the morning commuters, which is, I mean. It's smart. You got to give it to him. It's it's smart. I don't love it, but it's smart. So there were two accounts of how Walker's body would be discovered. The first was that the groundskeeper for the building or the complex would hear the persistent barking of Walker's two dogs, a lab and a German shepherd, which I didn't think about this before. I'm glad to know that the doggies are okay. I mean, it's terrible, but we've heard the cases where they're not, you know. Yeah, that's awful. They would be barking and that they could hear it from the apartment and know that something was very wrong. Usually a universal sign for something's wrong at the gay residence is knowing that the pups are barking (laughs) and going crazy. Especially here. I mean, my dog barks at everything, but you know the bark when like someone's intruding kind of thing. Absolutely. If the pups are not taken care of at a queer residence, something is wrong. Something is amiss. You need to investigate. Come check on me immediately. So the groundskeeper would enter the flat, find that the dogs had been locked in the kitchen. Also, some places said it was the guest bedroom, kitchen, guest bedroom, one room, before discovering Walker's dead body in his bedroom and contacting the police. The second account would be that after two days, after hearing or not seeing him or hearing no reports of Walker's murder, Ireland himself would actually contact the local Samaritan's telephone helpline slash suicide hotline and the Sun newspaper reporting the crime both of which contacted the proper authorities. So this guy was like, people are saying, you know, this is actually what I've heard the most, actually, since we've covered this case mm-hmm. and I learned about it and then like kind of researching yeah. more down the road. I think everywhere pretty much, except for a few sources, says that he got frustrated and called like the local, like a news channel, The Sun, and said, hey, I killed someone. Well, and that tracks. And then they called the cops. It's like, What? Yeah, well, that tracks because the whole reason he did this was for the notoriety of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's At exactly least in right. theory. And he's At least sitting back. It's been two days. He's yeah. like, nothing's happening. Imagine that, too, because like most people I feel like would be anxious, like, oh, my God, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get caught. And he's just sitting there like, why haven't I gotten caught? Yeah. What the hell? The police would quickly investigate. But due to a lack of evidence, a lack of witnesses willing to cooperate with the investigation, because just days before this, engaging in consensual SM sex had been made illegal. And people were afraid to talk to the police for fear of being punished for themselves, full stop. And inclusive autopsy results, they were unable to determine if Walker's death was deliberate or accidental. Then in May of 1993, Colin Ireland would return to the Culhern in search of his next victim. He would attract the attention of a 37-year-old librarian whose name was Christopher Dunn, and the two men would leave together. On May 30th, Dunn's body would be found in his home gagged and nude, all but for wearing a leather harness, having apparently been strangled to death. Initially, the cause of death was considered a probable accident resulting from Dunn engaging again in SM sex and was not investigated as a murder. 
and it was not linked to the death of Peter Walking three months prior. These were also investigated by different municipalities, so links were not able to be made for that reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah we haven't talked about that in a while, but we used to talk about it all the time, how different departments don't talk to each we other. We did used to talk about that a lot, a about lot. how it is really difficult for departments in different jurisdic- jurisdictions <laughs> uh, <laughs> working on my diction. That's right. Different. Jesus, different jurisdictions <laughs> to communicate, especially back in like the the early 90s. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. For Systems sure. were not in place. Technologies were not uh, what they once were. Cell phones and we have texting come a long and way since whatnot. The 90s. Yes, absolutely. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but it was that yeah. long ago. It was a long time ago. It was. In June of 1993, under his usual guise, Ireland would meet a 35 year old businessman named Bradley. Harry. That is not correct. It's <laughs> Harry Bradley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was not at all correct. That was a little bit of dyslexia kicking in. I felt, I was like, when it, how long do I let him go? Yeah. Before I tell uh, him. Perry Bradley III. And of course, they met at the Colhern. He would invite the man back to his home. Returning to Bradley's flat, Ireland would suggest that he allow Ireland to bind him to the bed. Only interested in a casual sexual encounter and not like a full-blown SM sex situation. Bradley would not initially agree to this, but Ireland stated that he needed the bondage aspect of the encounter to become aroused. So he basically says, hey, this is the only way I can get into it. This is the only way I can get excited enough to perform. So Bradley would hesitantly agree to this and soon found himself tied to the bed face down with a noose around his neck. It was at this point that Ireland would identify himself as a thief, demanding whatever money Bradley had in the flat and the pin for his banking card. Ireland assured Bradley that his only intention was to rob him and that he would not torture or harm him if he just complied with all of his wishes, gave him money, gave him valuables, etc., etc. Bradley did as he was instructed, even allowing himself to fall asleep as Ireland had suggested. So he's like, hey, you're going to be fine. I'm not going to hurt you. Like, I'm just going to take some things. I'm going to run to the ATM machine or the genie. You know, at the time, at the the time, they were probably called the genie. And you're going to be safe. Chill out, relax. I'll be back. So he fell asleep, not saying that that's something that I myself would do, but I've never been in that situation. Yeah, I also question how how much booze and and maybe recreational type of that is a very where you you know so much adrenaline has hit you and now all of a sudden you're just like coming down off of all of this stuff and maybe you can't not or maybe it's like the shock of everything just your body just shuts down. Who knows? But yeah, who knows? Never been in that situation. No victim blaming. Just saying it seems far fetched to those of us from a very outside perspective. He just falls asleep when the man was no longer awake. Ireland would tighten the noose around his neck and strangle Bradley to death. Ireland removed all the bindings and any possible evidence that he might have left inside the home. Then on June 7th, the police would discover Bradley's naked body in his home. It was apparent that the man had been killed at the hands of another and robbed, but investigators would be unsure as to whether or not the death of Perry was deliberate or if it was accidental. Additionally, Perry Bradley was not known to be a homosexual by neighbors, friends, or his family, so his death was not linked to the two aforementioned victims. He was closeted. He was closeted. This is why you got to at least have one person in your life who knows your truth. That's true. I mean, again, though, 
the 90s weren't that long ago, but they were that long ago. And, and again, I can, not yeah. victim blaming. No, not but... at all. That's hard. That's hard because you look at it and you're like, man, I wish someone would have known so it would have been linked. But you can also understand from the alive person Absolutely. not feeling comfortable being out fully. And from our own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I get it. I get why you would be afraid to tell people, especially in the 90s. Yeah. Been there, done that. And it makes sense why they wouldn't be linked then, yeah. you know? So also on June 7th, 1993, a frustrated because the police had not linked all these crimes and he was not being portrayed in the media as his famous serial killer-ness, <laughs> Colin Ireland. <laughs> the queen of serial yeah, killing. I, guess, I don't even really know what to say about that. Like, he's mad. He's like, why do they not care? Why are they? I mean, like, here's the thing. She's pissed. You, <laughs> you chose victims that you didn't think the police or anyone would care about. And now you're mad that no one cares. Mm-hmm. But okay, here we go. Yeah, get your shit together, sis. He would enter the Colhern yet again to meet and court a 33-year-old housing warden named Andrew Collier? Collier. Collier, okay. The two would agree to return to Collier's home to engage in sexual activity. On arriving there, they heard a disturbance outside in the courtyard of Collier's building, and the men would both briefly approach a window in the home to investigate. So they're like, huh, what's going on outside? Let's go see. Seeing there was no cause for concern, outside of the home anyway, the pair continued on with their plans. Ireland would soon bind and handcuff Collier to the bed before strangling the man to death with a noose. He would remove the cuffs and the bindings before forcing knotted condoms into the man's mouth. So we're back to this. Thing again. This weird Whatever calling this is card. Yeah. yeah. Ireland would also strangle Collier's cat. I spoke too soon earlier. I forgot about this. I did too. Awful. And placed its lifeless body on top of this man's body with the cat's mouth over Collier's genital area and the cat's tail in Collier's mouth. So essentially the 69 position, not with teddy bears this time, with an actual dead body and a dead cat. Like, talk about escalation. Talk about just disgusting. disgusting escalation at that. Ireland would attempt to clean the flat of any potential evidence, but would forget that he had touched the window earlier in the evening and left a fingerprint on its metal frame. On investigation, the deaths of Peter Walker and Andrew Collier were quickly linked due to their bodies being found, or I'm sorry, being known gay men. So both of them were known gay men. And they both had ties to the Colhern pub. Knotted condoms found within their mouths and the similar causes of death and similar crime scene staging. Hi, Lucy. Lucy has a lot to say about the dead cat component. She's upset. She literally just like opened the door and came in here like, yeah. um, I hear something going on in there. I don't like that. We should note here, though, that there are some reports that Colin Ireland was contacting authorities between each of these murders taunting them, asking why they hadn't caught him, bragging that he was committing these crimes for the purpose of becoming a famous serial killer. But we can't substantiate that. It's just talked about in, I mean, if you're going to go out and watch anything having to do with him, they're going to suggest that. But I mean, these are journalists writing these things. So it's like, how much elaboration is going on We could have been sensationalized. Absolutely. Because they're trying to sell papers or magazines or whatever we read in At the, the 90s. time, <laughs> newspapers. It's the uh, the tabloids. It has been pretty consistently said, though, that at this point, Ireland did contact police via phone, stating that he, quote, had killed four men and was going to kill again, end quote, due to frustrations over the fact that he hadn't received the infamy or the notoriety of a serial killer that he was seeking. So this is pretty, like we can say, on all accounts, from wherever we see, 
after this particular murder happened, he did call and say, hello, what the fuck? Yeah, (laughs) I'm doing this and I'm going to do more because you guys suck and you haven't found me or don't seem to be looking. If you're looking, you're not looking in the right places. (laughs) That's right. And on June 15th, again in 1993, Ireland would enter the Colhern and encounter his fifth and final victim, a 41-year-old chef named Emmanuel Spiteri. The two would travel by train to Spiteri's flat in order to engage in consensual SM sex. Once there, Spiteri was bound to the bed with ropes and handcuffs, had a noose placed around the neck, and ultimately was strangled to death by Ireland. Afterward, in what had become his post-murder ritual, Ireland would remove the victim's bindings and clean the home of potential evidence. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the whole thing is a ritual. I mean, he's essentially doing the same thing every time. Yeah, this aspect of it does feel very ritualistic and it does feel very studied Yes, to me because yeah. he, he... probably knew the right cleaning products to use. Absolutely, absolutely. And he's got his kill kit, right? Mm-hmm. However, this time, before quietly exiting the flat during morning rush hour, Ireland would set a small fire in the bedroom in efforts to more quickly draw attention to his murder. Which, I mean, it makes sense. If no one's going to know for days and you want them to know right now, what's the best way to do it? Set a little fire. Yeah. Not going to burn the whole thing down, right? Adding to Ireland's frustrations, the fire would quickly burn itself out, causing only minor damage, and the crime would go undiscovered until Ireland himself contacted police, asking... Quote, have you found the body in Southeast London yet? The one in the fire. It's so creepy and so ominous. I know. And I couldn't imagine being like a dispatcher to getting that phone call when it's like, wait, what fire? What? I'm telling you, I have worked in or I did work in emergency medicine for a lot of years. A lot. Nobody puts up with shit the way that 911 dispatchers I, do. I, I freaking believe it. I mean. I really do. I, <laughs> I really do. People check on your friends that are dispatchers. They're not they okay. are not okay. <laughs> Probably, especially now. Jeez. Yeah, yeah I, most definitely. I can understand. All right, so let's talk about the investigation. By this time, authorities were prepared to admit that they likely had a serial killer at large in London. The investigation would reveal that on the night of his death, Spiteri had traveled via train with his murderer and images of the two had been captured by security camera Shocker, shocker, security cameras that actually worked. Seems to be a thing in the UK, though. Yeah. Like, they have more... Real CCTV footage. Yeah, they have real CCTV over there, whereas we just have, like... Oh, we're just trying to scare you with this camera. Exactly. They were spotted on the railway platform at the Charing Crossing near his home. Police would then release statements to the local news outlets with Ireland's photo and a general description warning the public that a killer was seemingly targeting homosexual men. They would even go so far as to make announcements and hand out flyers warning patrons of the gay pride festivals that took place that month. Not of the gay pride festivals. Warning the people at the gay pride festivals, right? Yes. Okay. I'm yes. Like, they're not being warned about pride festivals going on, right? Like, don't go to the... I mean, maybe they were. Maybe both <laughs> you never were know. I was literally, I'm sitting here thinking like, this is so amazing that they were... You know, springing into action, putting out flyers, making announcements, literally yeah. saying he is going, this person is going after gay men. Like, yeah. that's big. Yeah, it's especially huge. Especially for this year, you know? Yeah, especially for the year and especially considering how they drug their feet with the whole yeah. investigation up to this point. I can at least appreciate the fact that they said, you know what, we, we, better hop too. we have to be extreme and warning these people. So good for them. Ireland, seeing himself in the media linked to the crimes, would approach a lawyer on 
July 19th of 1993 to make a sworn statement. Ireland would admit that he was the man seen in the footage, the CCTV footage with Spiteri. He would further acknowledge that he had met the victim at the Culhern and that they had left together to return to Spiteri's flat to engage in casual sex. Ireland cited in the sworn statement that he had been A, practicing bisexual since the age of 16. And I don't know how much truth there is to that, but like, I'm by it, right? Sure, absolutely. I buy it. Especially if we consider that he had been approached by men in his teen years, who's to say that he didn't go for it? Yeah. You know? Maybe and he was like, oh, this piques my interest. Let's, absolutely. Why not, you know? In his adult life, he had spent time in, in gay bars. You know, they said that he, what, the bouncer, the security at the door and whatnot. That's but true. I mean, you're still placing yourself in an environment where you're around a lot of queer people and maybe your curiosity has peaked. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Makes sense. Ireland would, however, state that on arriving back at Spateri's home, a third unidentified man was there and being uninterested in a threesome or like a group sex situation, he would part their company. So says that he met Spateri, they agreed to go back to his place, they were going to have sex, but when they got there, there was this third guy and there was a group situation that he was presented with and he said, no, I'm going to leave you guys, you do your thing, peace out, I'm uh, not interested. It's not a bad story. I mean, it's you're trying to not implicate if yourself. you're trying to create reasonable doubt, you've created reasonable yeah, doubt. You've watched enough crime shows. Good good job. Absolutely. <laughs> Receiving Ireland's sworn statement or his sworn affidavit, the police would quickly take him into custody, advising him their intention was to simply rule him out as a suspect. Isn't that what they say? Isn't that what they all say? Ireland was cooperative with the investigators and even consented to fingerprinting because he was confident that he had left no fingerprints at any of the scenes, but we, Slay Queens... Spoiler alert! (laughs) (laughs) We know that his prints were, of course, a match for the print that he had accidentally left on the metal window frame in the flat of Andrew Collier, and police would uh, place Ireland under arrest for two counts of murder for Collier and Spiteri. Because again, remember at that time, those were the only two that they had linked. Sure, which makes sense. It's the only things that have the same exact profile. Yeah, they were immediately identical. Point out. Yeah, this is getting intense. (laughs) I had something I wanted to say and now I don't remember. Anyway, let's go on to the trial and the sentencing. Though authorities believed that Colin Ireland had been responsible for deaths of at least, or the deaths of at least four homosexual men from March to June of 1993 in London, investigation findings could only link him to the two, those two of the murders. Of Ireland's own admission, the motivation behind his crimes was to become an infamous serial killer. Police would very cleverly, genius even, <laughs> use this <laughs> desire against Ireland to obtain confessions for the remaining crimes. Throughout their interviews with Ireland, authorities would call attention to the fact that if he were only convicted of killing two men, then by definition, he would not be a serial killer. We all know that, right? I mean, that's brilliant. We all know that. It is really freaking smart. And honestly, it didn't even occur to me until just now. And I've already known the story. (laughs) I mean, let his ego be the thing that is his undoing. It's smart, especially because of the fact, like, they know his ego is what drives him, especially because he's called at least once that we know of, right? Like, that we can really sink our teeth into. So, yes, he wouldn't be a serial killer. This was not by the FBI's coveted standards, not and not by Robert Ressler's standards, which we know is like his Elon Musk, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ultimately, Ireland would confess to the murders of five men, surprising investigators because they had not yet linked Bradley to the other cases because he was not out as a gay man, as we had mentioned. He received five life sentences without going on trial on December, without going to trial, I'm sorry, on December 20th, 1993. The real... Sorry, I wrote this note here. Here, I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll say it. And also, before we get into that, the last part of this story, that's probably another reason why a lot of people don't know Mm -hmm. about this case. We did talk about that because he didn't go to trial. And we have uh, talked about it with other cases as well. It's always more publicized and sensationalized when there's a trial. Yeah. And since he confessed and didn't go to trial, that's another reason people might not... uh, necessarily know especially as during much this about time this. when it's like a height it's like just the beginning of like people's morbid curiosity of true crime being peaked where like all over the tabloids is nothing but true crime yeah and people absolutely. are into it now and the note here that i had written that uh, ashley <laughs> didn't, didn't feel quite comfortable saying is uh the real kick in the nuts uh <laughs> <laughs> that he totally deserved colin ireland confessed to all five murders so that he, by definition, could be considered a serial killer and not compromise his his infamy, right? Well, because he confessed to the murders and there is no long, drawn-out trial, further media coverage was minimal and Colin Ireland's name would scarcely be recognized outside of central London. I mean, clearly, because I, yeah. I don't think... Did you know about him before we started this? I think you brought him up to me. I think... Was this the one that Sierra? It might have been brought up because we were discussing cases that we New wanted years. to cover, and she just Googled. Yeah, I no, think you're right. she was the one that you're brought right. this up. So I got a little ahead of myself there, yes. but <laughs> that's all right. The real kick in the nuts is was that, that he was doing all of these very purposeful things in order to be this famous, famous. serial killer, and now it's like and. Knows you. Yeah, you're, you're... We're talking about you now, but yeah. it's not good. Otherwise, you're obscure. Right. <laughs> you are obscure. And... You are nothing. Yeah. Colin Ireland would remain an inmate until February 21st of 2012, when he would die of natural causes, quoted as being pulmonary fibrosis and complications from a hip fracture he had suffered earlier in the month. And the only other reports that we read about Ireland's time in prison were rumors that he strangled his cellmate to death. But I There's a personally, couple ones that did say that. There's like a few different, but all of them are like at the very bottom of the article. Yeah. And it's like, not sure if this is true or not. It's exactly, rumor, you know? Yeah, everybody was like, well, not really sure. These could just be rumors, yada, yada, yada. I do have a good one for you, though. So there are multiple articles about this out. For me, like when I first saw it, it was like clickbait. And I'm like, that can't be true. And then I Googled it myself and I'm like, oh, my God, maybe it is. So uh, Tom Cruise was actually targeted by none other than Colin Ireland. What? (laughs) Yeah. So this is I'll just read you a little bit. (laughs) I'll just read you a little bit from this is from CelebDirtyLaundry.com. Oh, sounds like sounds reputable. (laughs) (laughs) None of them are the most reputable sounding, right? They're all like tabloid, you know, whatever. But I mean, here we go. When Tom Cruise was still married to Nicole Kidman, he became the target of a cold and evil serial killer named Colin Ireland. Ireland had Cruise in his sights with plans to murder him, but the police covered up the revealing files for decades. 
And let me just scroll right down here. He said he revealed that he met up with Cruz at the club when the actor was 31 and still married to Kidman, as I said. He showed up to the bar alone, presumably for promised homosexual relations with the murderer. I wonder how they got, like, okay, how do they get hooked up, though, right? That's what we want to know. Was the internet a thing at the time in 93? <sighs> Could it have been, yeah. like, a chat room situation? A chat room, AOL you think so? chat, yeah. yeah. It could have been, like, a anonymous yeah. gay well, sex hookup chat room. And I honestly can't remember, like, when chat rooms became a thing, but uh, there was also a... A big like hookup website in the gay community. It was called sure. gay.com. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, maybe so I mean there there's, there have been rumors about Tom Cruise for years. Yeah. And I'm sure that looking at his search history is part of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's a Tom, <laughs> there's a way. The only thing else that I'll add is that it says that Ireland revealed that he had the intention of killing Cruise, but that Cruise left the bar suddenly and was able to make his escape from Ireland. So I wonder if he got like a phone call. Tom yeah. Cruise has got important stuff going on a lot of Tom the time. Cruise. You know, he's a le- level eight in Scientology. So yeah, what I Buddha mean, couldn't do, he's, he's, <laughs> he he's, can do. He's got shit to handle. So yeah, I personally he think got out of there. that Tom Cruise, being the wee little man that he is, saw great big brawny Colin Ireland and was like, that's a bit much. That's it's a, a big no me. from me. Yeah, yeah that's, it's a no for it could me, be, That could be it, where yeah. he just like, he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And then he Absolutely. just like dipped. I also learned in this article, I don't know how true this is, but that uh, Ireland was also given the name Jack the Gripper. From frequenting gay bars. <laughs> oh, That's please, good, right? please, make, please make that the title of this episode. I will. <laughs> I love that. Yep, that's all I got for I you. I love everything about that. So, well, yeah. thank you for... Tiny Tom Cruise is still alive. and Wow. Uh, yeah. He that's... lived to bottom another day. That's so true. So, yeah, we would hope that... All you folks enjoyed the episode and you would let us know with a five-star rating. Absolutely. Or you can reach out on the socials. We're in the same places we've always been. It's like Queen's Pod everywhere. Yep. We're sometimes on TikTok even. Even. So I don't really do much with it. Nah. We look at it sometimes. Yeah. But (laughs) we're very active on our Instagram at the very least. Yes, absolutely. But otherwise, we are Slay Queen's Pod everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we love those five-star rates and reviews. We do, and we hope that you would go out and slay queens. Just not, Just not each other. Each other or anybody that you meet at a bar. Anybody that you meet at a bar, no matter what color their hanky is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, folks. Bye. I'm going away, but I won't come back on a lonesome railroad line. But I can't forget. That sweet little girl who sleeps in the pines and the pines.